In an old uh, picturesque English village one day, a poor tramp uh, was looking for a handout. And he came upon a, an establishment that uh, uh, was an old pub. And he was hungry. He was uh, starving almost to the point of fainting. And he knocked on, on the door of this old inn called uh, classically St. George and the Dragon. He knocked on the door of the kitchen and uh, the door opened and there was this snarly looking lady there who snarled at him, what do you want? And he said, please, ma'am, could, could, could you give a poor tramp some food, please? And she said, no, you smelly old foul stench of a beggar. And she slammed the door on his hand, and he, he turned away, uh, hand hurting and his heart hurting and his stomach still growling, and he headed down the lane. And then he stopped, and he, and he turned back, and he looked at that sign, St. George and the Dragon. He went back, and he knocked on that door again. And the lady opened up and says, what do you want now? And he said, please, ma'am, if St. George is in, may I talk to him this time? <laughs> now, some people are so occupied with their own pain that they cannot see the need of someone else. Some people may see the need, but uh, have such an uncaring heart, they can actually become obnoxious to the person in need. Other people, they might see the need and really desire to, um, to meet the need. They care, but they realize they're absolutely incapable of meeting the need. Well, the passage that we're going to look at this morning centers around someone who not only saw the need, felt the need, but he was actually capable of meeting the need. Um, Mark chapter 8, it's very similar to the passage that um, we looked at last week, Mark chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. This is the feeding of the, the 4,000. Uh, Mark chapter 6, the audience, as Mark writes that or as Jesus had that uh, encounter, the feeding of the 5,000 was to a Jewish audience. Uh, this seems to be to a Gentile audience. It's a different situation, the same Savior. And I want us to focus a little bit on the character of our Savior as he encountered, again, once again, the hungry crowd. In those days, it says, the large crowd, they had nothing to eat, and Jesus called his disciples and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. Let's consider the characteristic of Jesus here that's portrayed. I feel compassion. The heart of compassion of Jesus. It's more than just feeling. Compassion is feeling deeply, but also being able to move and meet the need. It's not just feeling sorry for people. It's being moved to, to act in behalf of those people. A little boy falls and, and skins his knee, and he's crying, and, 
and, and the mother stands 10 feet away and says, oh, I'm so sorry. No. It's the feeling of compassion and then the running to meet the need. Jesus was a man of compassion. We see this over and over and over in, in the gospel accounts. He wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, even though he know, knew he was going to raise him. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. He was a man of, of, of deep feeling. He was filled with compassion, as we'll see next week, when he reached out and touched a leper. He was deep, a man of deep compassion, as we saw last week, when he was moved to meet the needs of the thousands of people in Mark chapter 6. I like how the, the book of Hebrews describes it. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we can find that we can receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. We do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize. Sympatheo is, is the Greek term. It's a combination, sum, of, of um, uh, together with and patheo, of, of suffering alongside of, to share in the sufferings to embrace the sufferings of someone else. Now, to the Jewish people, God was so far transcendently holy, it was as if he was uh, not incapable, but just re totally removed in his holiness from people. In the Greek mindset, uh, the key characteristic of divinity was apatheia. We get our word apathy feelinglessness, a total detachedness. In fact, uh, Plutarch of the ancient Greeks, probably maybe one of the most religious of the ancient Greeks, said that it would be blasphemous to involve God in the affairs of mankind. A detached, separate God. And then Jesus Christ comes on the scene. And he stepped from the throne of glory. And he set aside his divine privileges as divinity, and he wrapped himself up in humanity. And he entered our world, and he felt for us. He walked where we walked. He experienced what we experience. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. He knows it. He's been there. He understands it. He's gone through it. He has not lived a sheltered and protected life. He's been right there. This past March, uh, my home state of Nebraska suffered some of their greatest floods in history. March 14th, uh, 2019, massive floods, uh, devastated regions. I pastored in north central Nebraska, a little rural community, and that particular part of, of Nebraska was uh, especially hard hit. I went back there this summer, and in order to get to the little community where I had pastored, where our family had lived, you had to go way out of your way, miles out of your way, because uh, three 
key bridges uh, were still not rebuilt uh, because of the floods had, had washed them away. This is the Spencer Dam. We drove past this dam hundreds, thousands of times when we lived in that area. The top part is what we would always see. That was the normal Spencer Dam. The bottom part, that's what it looked like after March 14th when these floodwaters smashed into it and absolutely devastated the area. They lost uh, their supply of fresh water up in that area. When I was there this summer, they were still trucking in bottles and containers of fresh water. And I called them just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. They had just gotten reconnected to fresh water supplies. Seven months after the great floods. Now, national media really paid no attention to this. I paid attention because I had lived there. I knew those folks. I was there this summer. I had to drink the fresh bottled water and stay away from the tap water. In fact, the, the bridge was just reopened uh, a few weeks ago as well. I had been there. I cared because I knew those people. Sympathy. This week, we lost a dear member here at Fellowship Bible Church, a, a dear brother in Christ. Tay Rafter went home to glory after many months of suffering with ALS. And when that word was shared in the, in the congregation, I know there were many of you who immediately empathized with Carol Ann because you have been there. You've lost a spouse. God has been there. Jesus felt compassion on these people. He walked where they walked. He felt what they felt. When life deals us some very bad blows, the Bible is saying we do not have a high priest in heaven who cannot enter into our sufferings together with us. He understands he's been there. Now, in contrast to the disciples, as we saw last week, it's very similar. Look at verse 4. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in, in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Where are we going to find bread to feed these people? And they say that after some time not that far before they had seen Jesus take five loaves and two fish and feed maybe 10,000 people with baskets full left over. Where are we going to find bread here in this desolate place? What a contrast with Jesus. What a contrast even with the the qualities of Jesus and his compassion. We keep reading. Verse 5, and he was asking them, so how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And so he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. You see, not only was Jesus filled with compassion. He was filled with faith. Again, he had set aside his 
divine privileges, but he knew the heart of his father. And in full faith, thousands of people, how many loaves? Seven. He didn't say, oh boy, how are we going to, you're right guys, how are we going to do this? No, he steps out in faith and he has them begin to distribute those loaves. He was undaunted by so few provisions. Faith has a, there's a certain ridiculousness, isn't there, with faith? I mean, just kind of a, an absolute ridiculousness. Seven loaves, and you're going to begin to have the people sit. After three days, they have not eaten. When we act in faith, oftentimes we're doing something that everyone else would never do because of faith in the power of, of, of a providing God who compassionately understands and cares. It was a risk to suggest 4,000 people sit down and begin to distribute seven loaves. It was a risk. Jesus trusted his heavenly Father in spite of the ridiculousness of the situation. And then notice also the quality of thankfulness. Verse 5, and he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? Seven. He directed the people to sit down. He gave thanks, and he broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve. The heart of thankfulness. Father, thank you for what you're going to do. No response of disgust, no response of frustration, a response of thankfulness. What an example for us. When we meet up with what seems to be insurmountable issues, we can either respond with pushing the panic button and frustration or, all right, Lord, thank you. Oh, Father, thank you. I'm going to trust you to figure this out. What will you do now? And so we can either complain or we can say thank you. We can either look at the problem or the problem solver. This is a great time. It would be a great time to tell stories about George Mueller, the great uh, man of faith uh, in the uh, 19th century in England who had the orphanages for hundreds of children that he would bring in and not knowing from day to day where the food was going to come and how he was going to supply for these hundreds of kids in the orphanage. And it was George Mueller who once wrote, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory or wanting no exercise for patience, we ought to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say, and say it deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and even defeats are the very food of faith. It was as if this man of faith, George Mueller, saw an insurmountable problem. A smile creased his face, and he said, My, 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 what will you do now, God? And Jesus was thankful for the life's challenges, and he bowed his head before the Father, and he gave thanks. Notice also another quality Verse 7, they also had a few small fish. He blessed them. He ordered them to be served as well. Verse 8, and they ate and were satisfied. 
and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. Another quality of Jesus is that he always, always satisfies. He always satisfies. The disciples had asked, where are we going to, in verse 4, where is anyone going to be able to find bread here enough in this desolate place to satisfy these people? This desolate place, that's the word that we saw last week in, verse, in chapter 6, the wilderness, the un- uninhabitable place, the, the deserted place, the place where there is absolutely nothing there within itself to bring provision. It's a, it's a wilderness place, a desolate place. And in the midst of the wilderness place and the desert place, here steps Jesus who fully satisfies in the desert place That's just who Jesus is. With his heart filled with compassion and his thankful heart and his creative ability, he meets the needs fully. Jesus brings life. He brings hope. He brings satisfaction to the desolate place, the wasteland. And you say again, wow, after such a fantastic display, once again, of of the creative, loving heart of Jesus. Um, How could anyone not fully grasp who this man was? And yet there they are. There are the 12 disciples just kind of missing it. Jump down to verse 14. And they had forgotten to take bread. They did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. So Jesus and his disciples, it says in verse 13, embark and they leave that setting. They get into the boat and somewhere along the little boat ride back over the Sea of Galilee, someone opened the picnic basket and lo and behold, one of the idiots forgot to pack it. And there's only one loaf in the boat. Now, he's giving orders to them, Jesus says. Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. Jesus is deep in thought because of an encounter he had just before they got in the boat and left, an encounter with the Pharisees and the Herodians. And he's deep in thought, he's thinking, and he he says, watch out, beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. And of course, the disciples, all they heard is leaven, and their stomach's growling, and so they open the picnic basket and one measly loaf. And it's almost humorous as Mark writes this. Mark, as he writes this, probably got much of his information from Peter. And I just wonder, I wonder as Peter is explaining this to Mark, if he's chuckling or if he's red-faced and shaking his head and said, I can't believe that happened. And Mark is writing this down, probably laughing, maybe. They had just come away from Jesus once again feeding thousands of people with a few loaves. And they're in the boat, panicking, focusing on one loaf, not enough to feed them. That word leaven 
All they thought about was food. It says that, verse 16, they were discussing amongst themselves the fact that they had no bread. That's probably um, uh, euphemistically spoken. They were discussing amongst themselves. Would the disciples be discussing amongst themselves? I'm sure there was tension in the air, probably a bit of arguing. Who didn't bring food? They're finger pointing, they're arguing, they're frustrated, they're very negative. Isn't it amazing how when you only have one loaf to focus on in life, that we can very easily slip into negative thinking the cup is always half empty. It's like the two neighbors, totally different, one being the optimist, one being the pessimist, and they were discussing one day over the fence of the neighbor, one with the other. The, one, the optimist said, what a beautiful day, that, that bright sun, this is so glorious. And the pessimist said, yeah, and it keeps burning like that, it's going to burn up my grass. And a couple days later, Rain is coming, and the, pessimist, the optimist is out there over the fence talking with the pessimist. Oh, isn't this, this glorious, this rain? And, and the pessimist said, yeah, and if it keeps up, it's going to wash away my garden too. And a couple of weeks later, the optimist invites the pessimist to go duck hunting. He had just gotten this beautiful um, hunting dog, and he says, hey, th th this dog can, it can do anything. I mean, it's an amazing dog. Why don't you come hunting with me? And the pessimist looked at the dogs. It looks like an old mutt to me. They went hunting. Yep, that's just an old mutt to me. And just then, some ducks flew up. The optimist raised his shotgun, knocked one of them down out in the middle of the lake, and that dog, optimist snaps his finger. That dog goes out, walking out on the water, <laughs> grabs the bird in his mouth gently, turns around, walks back on the water, and drops it at the optimist's feet. And the optimist looked at the pessimist and says, now what do you think of my grand dog? Dumb mutt, can't even swim, said the pessimist. <laughs> half full cup or half empty? Someone wrote, twixt the optimist and the pessimist, the difference is droll. The optimist sees the donut, the pessimist sees the, the whole. And the emptiness of life that comes... What a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We say that all the time. The scriptures are given to inform us of who God is. It's to fill the hole of the donut. What are we looking at? And if we're always looking at the hole instead of the donut, we're going to undoubtedly have a very empty life. Two kinds of people in the world. You Woke up this morning, and maybe some of you said, good Lord, it's morning. And maybe some of you others said, good morning, Lord. Where's our perspective? What are we focusing on? And here are the disciples worrying over this fact that someone had forgotten to pack the picnic basket, and there's one measly loaf, and they're hungry. And right there in the boat is the one who fed thousands of people. And they saw it. 
They were there. They saw it with the 5,000. They just saw it with the 4,000. Totally forgot it. And so Jesus communicates to them this rebuke. In verse 17, aware of this, he said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you, do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the 5,000, the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And by this time, they sheepishly, I'm sure, are hanging their head and they say, 12. And when I when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? Seven. And he was saying to them in this rebuke, gentle but firm, I'm sure, do you not understand? Don't you remember? Don't you get it? I like the way Matthew's gospel uh, records this. Same event. He said that because we did not bring our, any bread, in verse 8, Jesus, aware of this, said, now here's the line Matthew includes, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. And so if we went back into verse 11 of Mark's account, there is this encounter with the Pharisees. They begin to argue with Jesus, verse 11, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him and sign deeply in his spirit why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given this generation. You see, Jesus, when he warned his disciples there in verse 15, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He had something totally in mind, other in mind than, than what was in the picnic basket. The leaven of the Pharisees was this unbelieving heart this faithlessness. The Pharisees were seeking for a sign, and they didn't get one. The disciples never sought for a sign, but they got one in the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000, and yet they didn't get it. Both the Pharisees and the disciples were being permeated with the leaven, and a little bit of leaven will permeate the whole lump with the leaven of unbelief. They were blinded by unbelief. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand that he was sufficient. Don't you remember? He was the divine son of God. No problem exists that Jesus is not greater. They should have understand or come to understand that when you abandon yourself to God, you will never be abandoned by God. But they were totally fixated on the one loaf and not the one 
who had fed thousands with such a little bit. The leaven of unbelief, it had permeated their heart. And this, by the way, if we were to study through the Gospel of Mark like women in the Word are doing now on Tuesdays, we see this all through Mark's Gospel. Like in chapter 4, he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? Or chapter 5, verse 34, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Or chapter 5, verse 36, but Jesus Overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. This is the theme. Or chapter 6, and he wondered at their unbelief. Or chapter 9, he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? This was the concern that Jesus was dealing with. The leaven of unbelief. And here again, the disciples, they were occupied with a single loaf of bread. As often we can, what might be the single loaf that we're tempted to look on, even maybe today? The single loaf of financial insecurity? The single loaf of questionable health? The single loaf of a rebellious teen? The single loaf of some other worrisome family concern or something as innocuous as a, a car that broke down or the, the dishwasher that's on the fritz or, or the, 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 the great concerns of world turmoil? What's the single loaf in our life? And here is the living word, our Lord Jesus, rebuking his disciples for focusing on the single loaf, the lack of faith. Do you not yet see? Don't you remember? Don't don't you remember when you felt you were at your final breath of strength, and yet don't you remember how God came and infused you with that, that extra day of strength, and he sustained you? Don't you remember when that temptation came and he provided you that, that extraordinary strength to say no, and it was defeated? Don't you remember that time when, when illness overtook you and God provided for you? Don't you remember that time when, when you were reaching your absolute breaking point? But you didn't because you got on your knees and instead of looking at that one single loaf, you found that he was sufficient. His promises were true. And he filled your life in the moment of the desolation and the wasteland of the single loaf with satisfaction the sweetness of his presence. Jesus is saying, don't you remember? The problem of the 4,000 hungry people was no problem. It was an opportunity for Jesus to show his glory. The problem of the single loaf in in the picnic basket in the boat that day was an opportunity for the bread of life to display his power and his compassion once again. 
And the key question is, do we turn to Him in faith? Are we looking to the bread of life? Do we see who is in the boat with us beyond the single loaf? Are we desperate for Him? Are we pursuing Him? Where's our gaze? What are we focusing on? Is the peace that passes all understanding flowing into our souls because, because Jesus is there? See, there's one thing that's going to stand in our way of experiencing the fullness of what God has for us in this wretched world, in this wasteland of, uh, of sin. One thing that's going to stand in the way one thing that's going to block our chances of finding this, this completeness in the Christian life. One thing that's going to stand in the way of us not living a life of, of unfulfillment, of mediocrity in our Christian walk. One thing. That's the heart of unbelief. And, and here's, here's the key. An unknown God is never going to be trusted. An unknown God is never going to be trusted. The, the disciples are there in the presence of Jesus who's supplying multiple times, doing incredible things, and they're blind to it because they're focused on the loaf. An unknown God will never be trusted. And so let's go back to the beginning of that passage once again. In those days, when that large crowd who had nothing to eat for three days, and Jesus, verse 2, felt compassion for the people because they had remained with him, and he fed them out of his compassion. Do you know the compassion of Jesus? Have you experienced it? Do you remember those times when the compassion of Jesus filled your life in the wasteland of the moment? Do, do you remember that? Do you remember? Have you experienced it? Do you know the full satisfaction of what it's like to walk with Jesus even in the worst times of life? We've often said it here. I'll say it again as I close. The Christian life is won or lost right between the ears. And sometimes when we're in the boat with a single loaf, we just have to remember. Because sitting right there is the one who has met our every need. And he's been there. He's walked where you have walked. And in that moment of maybe despair, there is a God in heaven who erupts in his spirit with sympathy, with compassion. Do you remember it? Would you bow your head, please? And just in this quietness, in this moment, Father God, I would ask that you would bring back to our remembrance right now just one incident 
and our past relationship with you. Just pop it into our mind right now, Father. Our time here of worship together is a holy time. It's a time where we're meeting with you, the living God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is not some some social gathering. This is not some meeting of the Elks Club or, or some group. Father, we are the body of Christ. And we have, we have convened, we have gathered in the name of Jesus, our great high priest, the one who can sympathize with us. And in this moment, Father, I pray that you'd bring to our remembrance that time of, of your faithful, compassionate care. How you supplied mercy and grace and peace that passes all understanding. And even, even <laughs> exchanged the one loaf for baskets full. And you didn't have to do that. But Father, right now, bring it to our attention Every promise that you have given to us, it's, it's real. And the Lord said when you, you, you said when in your word that you will never leave us nor forsake us, we, we hold on to that. We'll stand on the promise of the word of God. When you said and call us and invite us to pray and that you'll hear our prayers, that was a promise. You're not going to neglect us. When you said that you would do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think. It's a promise, Father, we can hold on to. That, that you, Lord Jesus, you sympathize with us. You've been there. And maybe we need to hear, Father, your Holy Spirit say to us one more time, don't you get it? Don't you understand? Don't you remember? Father, you are so good and so sovereign. Forgive us when we have focused on a single loaf, when Almighty God is our friend and our Savior. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.